Let's pray together. Father, we've come now to the partner service where we open your word. This holy text, we do not believe it is holy because the men who wrote it were perfect, infallible men. We believe that these imperfect men with unique personalities were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we believe that every word in this book is from you. And so when we read this text this morning, we're hearing your voice. We're hearing from you. And so I pray that you would speak and that your spirit would cause our hearts to receive what we hear and then to obey. So as we pray often, I pray that you would change us where we need to be changed. I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. I pray that you would encourage us and comfort us if that's what we need. But give us what we need and then use us however you see fit and give us the courage to walk in obedience to your will even if it contradicts our own. So Father, have your way in the rest of this service and may you be glorified and honored in all that we do and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I want to invite you to be seated and if you have a copy of God's word, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. Again, our typical practice here at Trace is to walk through Bible books verse by verse. So uh, we've been doing something a little bit different the last few weeks. We've been focusing on uh, different themes related to this season of Lent to try to um, focus our attention on the person and work of Jesus and how that directly relates to how we live our lives as his followers. Uh, we've, we've chosen to emphasize six kingdom priorities to show how we can live as citizens um, of the kingdom, this, this side of the cross, and this side of um, heaven. So the first week here, we, we emphasized repentance, and then the next week, we emphasized humility, and this week, uh, we were going to talk about service, but, but we've decided to, to kind of flip that around, and actually, we're going to be talking about the theme of self-denial. So if you're in Luke's gospel, turn to chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27. Luke 9, 23 through 27. We're going to talk about the theme of self-denial this morning. All right, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and, my wor- and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so every single day, uh, whether you know it or not, you probably do the same things. You know, we've talked about habits recently and how habits form us, but every single day that there are certain things that you do and you don't even realize you're doing it, right? You just have certain habits. Maybe if you took an inventory of, of each day, you're like, okay, what did I do today? Like at the end of the day, and then you did that for like a few days in a row, you might notice, oh, I, I, kind, of, I kind of do these, these certain things every single day. And then there are other things that, that we are a little bit more intentional about. So there are some things where like, we need to do this every single day. In order for me to have a good day, in order for me to have a good life, I need to do these things every single day. And then those are, those are also some of those, those ideas, those things that we, we, we look at and we're like, we need to be doing it, but we're not doing it. You know, like, what are some things that you need to do in order to have the best life that you can have? You know, eating healthy, right? Like, like eating health, like if you eat the right foods, okay, and you eat food that is good for you, you are by and large going to have a better life than someone who does not, okay? And um, I, don't, I don't need your shameful looks, okay? I don't need that. Like, we, yes, I eat donuts every single week on Saturdays, but it's for my kids, okay? It's, it's donuts with dad, all right? I mean, it's, it's only for them. I just watch them eat. I don't eat three or four or five, sorry, donuts. Um, but, but you, you know, I mean, sure, healthy people can get sick. I mean, healthy people can, can have horrible things happen. But by and large, if you eat healthy, you're going to have a good life. You know, and another one, exercise. I don't want to hear it, Jim, Jake, like you guys exercising nonstop. That's their habit. They don't even realize they're doing it. Jim just, like, find, like, he'll wake up one day, and then, like, he'll just be out on the highway just running. And he's like, oh, where am I? You know, like, you know, you have that sensation where you get in the car, and then the next... The next time you look, you know, you're at work and you're like, oh man, I hope I didn't run over anybody. I don't even know how I got here. That's how Jim is when he runs. Like, he just, he just wakes up and finds himself just out. And he's like, oh man, 18 miles in. All right, only 20 more to go. It'd be a good morning. If you didn't know, Jim Brown's an unbelievable runner if you didn't pick up on that. Um, but you know, if you exercise and if we strive to exercise or, or just move, right? Like the, the 10,000 step you know, goal for every day. Like, if you do that, like, you're going to have a better life than if you don't. And then, you know, if you work hard, like, working hard will give you a better life than if you are lazy and you don't work hard. I mean, if you, like, there's this, you know, I have, I have, uh, um, there's, I forget how old he is, like, 19, 20 years old. This guy, I'm kind of informally uh, mentoring, and, uh, you know, he comes back home. He's been away from home, and he comes back home, and he's like, I just, I hate my life right now. And he has these dreams. He has these dreams of all these things that he wants to do you know, but he won't go and get like a job, you know, like he's, he's, uh, you know, living with his mom and that's fine. Like, I'm not shaming any, I'm not shaming any young guy, young girl for living at home. Like, I'm not shaming you for that, but you know, he's totally taking advantage of the situation and he's not working. I'm like, dude, here's what you need to focus on right now to improve your life. Go get a job. Like, go get a job, go work. And I know it's not always that simple, and it's, sometimes it is difficult to find work. But if you do work hard, or just work hard, like, you know, mow the grass. Like, you know, just when you work hard, your life typically is better than if you are lazy. The book of Proverbs spells this out really clearly. And then, like, the last one, and this is something that is a habit, but you need to be intentional about it, is getting adequate sleep, right? 
Like, if, if, you, if you sleep well, and actually I've noticed that, like, just in ministry, if I forsake sleep for study, I'm always worse than if I, you know, forsake study for sleep. You know, if, if I actually get some really good sleep, even if I could have spent, you know, two more hours studying in the Word, I'm exhausted, you know, when I come to teach. And, you know, the same is true for you. You know that your work, your work day is much better if you've gotten, you know, good sleep. And so, you know, in order to have, like, the best life, like, you, you can take some of these principles and, and give them, you know, to yourself. Like, let's eat healthy, let's exercise, let's work, let's get adequate sleep, and I will have a better life. All of that's absolutely true. You know, some years back, there was a, an author, I'm not going to mention his name because you're either going to immediately know who I'm talking about, and if you don't know, don't worry about it. Um, but he wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Yeah. Um, now, I don't agree with the, the principles in the book, but, you know, I don't know that we should just reject the premise right off. Like, I, the comeback was always, your best life now. No, your best life later in heaven. That's when your best life is. And it's like, sure, yes, yes, nice Jesus juke. Uh, absolutely, that's true. But don't we want to live, like, a good life in following Jesus? How can we have our best life now? How can we do it? How can we have our best life this side of heaven? Because there is a best life. Like, you're, you're, you know, you're going to be living your life and you're going to regret certain decisions, but what are those things you should be striving for every single day to make sure you're on track for your best life now? Now, this is where I disagree with the author. You know, his, his way of going about it is is not the way Jesus goes about it. Jesus says, in order for you to have your best life now, you need to wake up each morning and do two things. That's it. You wanna have your best life now? You wake up each morning and you do two things. Die and walk. Die and walk. You want to have your best life now? Wake up and resolve to die. Wake up and resolve to die to yourself, to your inner passions, to your inner desires that contradict the will of God for your life. You see, you want to have your best life now? This is the great paradox of life in the kingdom of God. We're talking about kingdom priorities you know, repentance and humility were foundational. Self-denial is the juice. Self-denial is the fuel for how to live the kingdom life because the kingdom life is a paradoxical life. In order to truly live, you have to die. You have to die. In order to live a life of flourishing, in order to thrive in this world as, as one of Jesus' followers, in order to be truly human, right? Because at the fall, when Adam sinned, he lost the humanity that God intended for him. God never intended for Adam to sin. And when he did, he became less human than when God had created him. And so in order to be truly human, we have to die. We have to die. And so... That's where you get this idea of self-denial. So what is self-denial? 
what is it? Now, some of you, um, depending on your background, you may, you may think of like old horror stories within like the Catholic Church or just, just strange stories, you know, people who would, you know, have practices of self-denial by like standing out in the cold for hours or, or days, you know, just to show that they can do it. Um, but really, that was more of a, a self-hatred. It was a hatred of the body. And self-denial is not self-hatred. Self-denial is not, is not even like geared toward only the soul or only the body. Self-denial means renouncing anything that challenges our allegiance to the kingdom of God. Self-denial means renouncing anything that challenges our allegiance to the kingdom of God. That means you have a desire, you have an attitude, you have a job, you have a pattern of behavior that contradicts or you learn that it contradicts the will of God for your life, you give it up. You give it up. You deny yourself. Um, Secondly, another way to say it, self-denial is then aligning. So if that was the negative side of it, you renounce anything that challenges your allegiance to the kingdom. Self-denial more positively is aligning your thoughts, desires, dreams, plans, and actions with the kingdom of God. So it's renouncing anything that opposes the kingdom of God, that opposes Jesus and his will for you. And then because you're renouncing all of those things, you then align your thoughts and your desires and your dreams and your plans and your actions with the will and the kingdom of God. Self-knowledge is renouncing and it is aligning. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four aspects of self-denial in Luke 9, 23 through 27. Um, The the four aspects um, are, first, the requirement of self-denial. So there's a requirement. Second, the results of self-denial. The third point we're going to look at is the reason for self-denial. And then fourth, the reward. So a nice, clean, Baptist, alliterative sermon for you this morning. The, the requirement of self-denial, the results of self-denial, the reason for self-denial, and then the reward for self-denial. First, our first truth that we're going to walk through in this text this morning. And by the way, you do have a couple notes pages uh, there. Um, I, I will, and, and every week, you know, I, I kind of stop saying this, but every week uh, you have access to my notes. So if you, if you actually want my notes, you know, just ask me, I'll send them to you. I'm not going to just like mass send them out. You know, some people may not want them. So if you do want my notes, just make sure you remind me, let me know. Uh, your life group leaders um, just sent you uh, new life group leader guides, and in the life group leader guide are my notes. So as you're kind of reviewing the sermon, you have access to my notes there. Um, but we do have two blank pages there. One of them is more guided in, in the liturgy guide has like prompting questions and then the other one is just blank um and i would encourage you if that that's helpful for you to take notes um but anyway first our first truth self-denial is required of jesus's followers and it's one of these are one of these passages that just troubles me and and it off sometimes just you know on bad days it really can create doubt in my own heart anything that's a requirement you know, like we're, we're all about the free grace of God. The, the only way for us to be reconciled to God and to have a relationship with him and have a hope of a future with him and to have a hope of being truly human and to truly flourish is for God to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. However, there are specific requirements involved that will be true of every follower of Jesus. And if it's not true of you, you are probably not a follower of Jesus. Self-denial is one of those things. Self-denial is a requirement. 
It's required of Jesus' followers. I want you to look in verse 21 of of Luke 9 and and see the connection here. And I, I may be reading too much into this, but I don't know. I'll leave that to you to decide. Verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. All right, so Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Christ. And so Luke's giving us a little note here. He's like, you know, Jesus, he told them, don't tell this to anyone right now. And then this is what he said in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so we may focus on the fact, oh, Jesus is predicting his death. He's predicting that it's going to happen. You know, he's, he says that he's going to be, he's going to suffer and he's going to be rejected and, you know, who's going to reject him and then he's going to be killed and then, you know, he's going to be raised on the third day and we kind of focus on the details of that and we're like, Jesus is trying to tell them this is what's coming. But I want you to notice in verse 22 what he says. The first four words. The son of man, what? Must. Must. He doesn't say, the Son of Man is going to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many things. What Jesus is saying is, in order for me to accomplish my mission, I have to go to the cross. There's no way around it, unless I want to abandon my mission. Now, Jesus does not have to go to the cross in the sense that he is obligated to to save us. He doesn't have to do that. But if he's going to do it, He has to go to the cross. There's no other way for him to save us from our sins other than to become sin for us in our place and to suffer the punishment and the penalty that we deserve in our place on the cross. That's it. Jesus' mission requires the cross. Dying on a cross was not optional for Jesus to accomplish his mission. Now look at verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, if you're going to come after Jesus, if you're going to come to Jesus, and you want to give this Christianity thing, you know, a shot, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You notice what Jesus is saying there. He is essentially saying, even here in Luke 9, that for him, dying on a cross is not optional. And for us, dying on a cross is not optional. Dying on a cross is not optional for us to accomplish our mission. In order for us to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us, we have to die too. Do you think that this church can reach this city with the gospel if we refuse to die to ourselves? We can't do it. And we won't do it. In order for me to have a conversation with an agnostic law student... There are some things that he said that I really wanted to go in on, you know? I wanted to. It was like, this is, I mean, he, at one point he was a little bit rude, and I wanted to go in. I renounced that right. 
for his sake to continue the conversation. We wouldn't have been talking for two hours if I had refused to die to myself. You you know this is true. You know this is true in parenting. You know this is true in friendship. You know this is true at work. But we can't follow Jesus unless we die to ourselves. Because everything about Jesus comes into conflict with everything that is sinful within us. All of our sinful desires at every single point will come into conflict with what Jesus wants for our lives. And so if we refuse to take those desires to the cross and crucify them there with Christ, we won't follow Jesus. I mean, we can't if we don't do that, but we won't do it. The cross was a requirement for Jesus' mission and continues to be a daily requirement for his followers. Self-denial is not optional. And without it, you can't follow Jesus. You just can't. So self-denial involves two daily requirements. And we can look at those here in verse 23. Verse 23 says again, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so self-denial then involves two daily requirements. We said every single morning in order for you to live your best life now, you have to do two things. You have to die and you have to walk. There's daily death. Daily death which is take up your cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the disciples should have picked up on this language immediately, especially in their context. Picking up a cross and carrying it somewhere only meant one thing. You were a criminal about to be executed. And that, that's what they did. They carried the cross beam to, to the place where they were going to be um, crucified. That, that's how it works. So the only way you would be carrying a cross is if you were going to die. But Jesus says something interesting here. In, in case you, you want to take him literally and, and you think that we should actually be pursuing death physically. He says, take up your cross daily. Daily. Jesus is saying every single morning you wake to greet your cross. You wake to greet it. You pick it up on the way out the door the way you'd pick up your keys to go out the door to go to work. You pick up your cross and you resolve every single day, I'm going to die to myself today. I'm going to die to my sin today. I will not be overcome by the sin that is in me, by the selfishness that is in me. I'm going to center my life and my gaze and my focus on the cross of Christ and I'm going to that place to die with him today. It involves daily death. Thomas Akempis, he wrote, you need to realize that you must lead a dying life. You see the paradox there? You must lead a dying life. The more a man dies to himself, the more he begins to live unto God. The more you die to yourself, the more you begin to live to truly live, just period. Because if you're dying to yourself and you're dying to your old habits and your old ways and your old thoughts and your old behaviors, then you are coming alive to these new thoughts, these new attitudes and these new actions that are consistent with the will of God. And so you're taking steps moment by moment to become more and more of what God originally created us to be in the first place, human. 
So it involves not just daily death, taking up your cross, but it involves a daily walk, follow Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me, here's the pattern. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a daily walk. So you're not just crucifying your own desires to prove your own resolve, you know, to prove your own discipline. You know, I, I, can, I can avoid eating chocolate for the next month. You just watch me. You just watch me. I'll be able to go into Simply Sweet and look all around and not buy a thing. You watch me, you know, or, or whatever it would be just to prove your, your resolve and your discipline to overcome this vice in your life. Now, the whole point of dying to yourself daily is to live unto God, is to live and follow Jesus. So you wake up every single morning resolving, I'm going to die to myself, but I'm going to follow Jesus. For the purpose of following Jesus, we die to ourselves. But we cannot follow Jesus if we do not die to ourselves. We cannot follow Jesus if we do not deny ourselves. Tozer, um, I, I love what Tozer says about this. I'll just read it to you. The cross always has its way. It wins by defeating its opponent and imposing its will upon him. It always dominates. It never compromises. Never dickers, I don't know what that is, nor confers. <laughs> These old guys, man, like, I just, I don't know, I wouldn't survive in that world. I, I just don't think I could write that down. I don't know. Like, whatever, sorry. Um, never surrenders a point for the sake of peace. It cares not for peace. It cares only to end its opposition as fast as possible. With perfect knowledge of all of this, Christ said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the cross not only brings Christ's life to an end, it ends also the first life, the old life of every one of his true followers. It destroys the old pattern, the Adam pattern in the believer's life and, it, and brings it to an end. Then the God who raised Christ from the dead raises the believer and a new life begins this and nothing less is true christianity we must do something about the cross and one of two things only we can do flee it or die upon it those are your options this morning you can run from the cross or you can die on the cross with christ here's what you can't do and what I believe we are prone to do. Follow Jesus as he carries his cross. And support him. You know? And boast in what Jesus has done for us. All the while refusing to see ourselves as little Christ who are called to go to the place of death every day ourselves. Self-denial is required of Jesus' followers. Secondly, self-denial produces specific results in Jesus' followers. So self-denial is required, but self-denial, once you accept it and once you embrace it and live by it and you deny yourself, it produces two specific results. So self-denial is never alone. 
And we, we mentioned this just a little bit ago, but it's never alone. It's always accompanied by an and. So deny yourself and follow Jesus. Deny yourself and love and serve your neighbor. So self-denial in and of itself, like, it's, it's not helpful. Like Just denying yourself to deny yourself just for the sake of it is not helpful. It can even be prideful. Um, self-denial separated from following Jesus, it could even be a version of like a works-based salvation where you're, you're trying to root out all the bad in your life so that God will accept you. Like that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Self-denial means that we refuse to be self-centered and we resolve to be God-centered and others-centered, both in the church and in this city. So say that again. Self-denial means we refuse to be self-centered and we resolve to be God-centered and other-centered both in the church and in the city. So those are the two results. The two results that self-denial produces is God-centeredness and other-centeredness. I don't know if that's a word, but two results. Self-denial is God-centered. So we deny ourselves for a reason, for a purpose, Okay, there's, there's a result, there's a goal here. We're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Self-denial is God-centered. So we deny ourselves for the sake of Jesus and his glory. You notice, when you're denying, you're suppressing, you're putting to death, you're mortifying sinful desires, you gotta have somewhere to go. And what Jesus is saying is you go to Jesus, you run to him. And you follow after him. And your mind becomes focused and captivated by the person and the work of Jesus on your behalf. And how that continues to impact us today in the church and in the city. Denying yourself causes you to focus your attention on God and what he wants. So you're no longer primarily concerned about what you want for your life and your, what, what is your 10-year plan? What is God's 10-year plan for my family? What does he want for me in this next decision? And I can, I can promise you, discerning the will of God is not an easy thing, and you know this. It is incredibly difficult to discern what God wants. But if we don't even start there, we won't be following him. If you don't start in a position of resolving to die to yourself, to die to your will and what you want for the sake of having God's will and what he wants at the center of your focus in your life, you're not a follower of Jesus. Because that's what we do. We put his will at the center of our lives. So self-denial is God-centered, but self-denial is also others-centered. So we don't just deny ourselves so we can have a clear view of God. We, we deny ourselves so that we can have a clear view of others. You know, if you're selfish, you won't serve. If you're self-centered, you won't serve. You won't give of yourself. You're trying to gain for yourself, you know? If you try, try to gain for yourself constantly, you're not gonna give of yourself freely. We see that a number of times in Scripture. We deny ourselves for the sake of others and their good. Like I said, it happens in conversations like I had when you're, when you're evangelizing. It happens at work. It happens at home. You know, you're in an argument with a, with a good friend. You're in an argument with your spouse. It's, it's either someone's going to lose, which means I'm about to crush you, right? I do that. I win all the arguments, right? No. No. 
Or you recognize that as an opportunity to die to yourself. I could say something right now to crush you. That's, that's a sinful, selfish desire. Instead, I'm going to die to myself and see how I can serve you even in this argument. Self-denial is always other-centered. B.B. Warfield, um, prominent Presbyterian theologian, scholar, he wrote, Our self-abnegation is thus not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. And thus it is not to mere self-denial that Christ calls us, but specifically to self-sacrifice. So for Warfield, he says, self-denial every single time involves self-sacrifice. You don't just deny yourself for the sake of denying yourself. You don't even just deny yourself for the sake of knowing God more. You deny yourself for the sake of your brother, for the sake of your sister. All of the things that Jesus calls us to do as the church, to love one another and serve one another, we can't do that. If we have our own desires and our wills for what this church should be, or or what our life group should be, or what this relationship should look like, and we have our own expectations and we're holding that up as the standard, instead of what the Word says, instead of considering where our brothers and sisters in this church are, So Warfield finishes and he says, it is not to mere self-denial that Christ calls us, but specifically to self-sacrifice. Not to unselfing ourselves. So it's not self-hatred. Not to unselfing ourselves, but to unselfishing ourselves. Where our focus goes from being on, okay, what do I want? What's best for me? What's best for me? Instead, what's good for them? What does God want and what's good for them? That becomes the focus. That, those are the two lenses of self-denial. It's a God-centered lens and an others-centered lens. So self-denial produces specific results in Jesus' followers. But thirdly, self-denial is rooted in the paradoxical new way of life for Jesus' followers. If you're taking notes, I'll say that one more time. That was a lot of words. So third point, self-denial is rooted in the paradoxical new way of life for Jesus' followers. And that's where we see verse 24 come in. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's a paradox. You save your life and you lose it? How does that work? You you lose your life, but you save it? it? On the surface, it doesn't make any sense. It's a paradox. Look at verse 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Well, he gained the whole world. Well, it's not my fault, Siri. <laughs> If anyone should understand in this room, it should be Siri. (laughs) Try Google. I'll try again. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Okay. Another paradox. 
You gained the whole world. What's the profit? The whole world. He's like, but how is that gain if you forfeit yourself, if you lose yourself? Oh, I guess it's not. Self-denial is rooted in this, this paradoxical new way of life, this new way of life that Jesus calls us to. When you lose, you win. When you're last, you're first. You want to live, you got to die. Self-denial is at the heart of this. The reason that we deny ourselves is that if we don't, and we try to live for ourselves, we're going to die. Apart from Jesus. Apart from God. You try to save yourself by doing things your own way, you're going to lose yourself. But if you deny yourself, if you don't count yourself as significant, and you're willing to lose yourself for the sake of following Jesus, just another way of saying it, you're going to carry your cross, you're going to take it up daily for the sake of following Jesus, that's where you find yourself your truest self. If we don't deny ourselves, we will lose ourselves. That's, is that not frightening? That's frightening. You can, and we've been saying it the last few weeks, but you can know all of the correct doctrine about Christianity, but if the cross is not experientially and practically the center of your life, you have reason to ask whether you're following the Jesus who died on the cross. It's frightening. If you refuse to deny yourself, if you're not living out the implications of the gospel, I don't care if you know it. It does you no good to profit all the theological knowledge in the world if you forfeit your soul because you don't deny yourself. True life is found through death. George MacDonald, this was actually C.S. Lewis's favorite author. Um, George MacDonald wrote... If we do not die to ourselves, we cannot live to God. And he that does not live to God is dead. It's like the green mile, right? Dead man walking. Dead man walking. In one sense, we want to be dead men walking, right? We want to be those who are every single day dying to ourselves in order to live to God but you'll be a different kind of dead man walking if you don't die to yourself okay you can die now to your sinful desires and follow Jesus or you can live for yourself and live for your sinful desires and die later apart from Jesus those are the options like Tozer said you can flee the cross you can die upon it and there is no middle way self-denial is a call to die but it's a call to die that leads to life and so in that sense self-denial is the beginning and it's the epitome of self-love not self-hatred so I'm not asking you to, to hate yourself I'm asking you to truly love yourself by seeing who you truly are in light of God's holiness.
a sinner who needs refined? Are there not things in your own life and in your own heart, maybe things you did this past week that need to be killed, that need to be put to death, that need to be crucified on the cross of Christ? If so, I would encourage you to do some self-examination and mortify those sins, kill those sins, take them and go to the cross and crucify them. But that's not just something you do one time and then you just build up more sins that you need to crucify. It's a daily pattern, a new way of life. You want to have your best life now? Wake up every morning and resolve to die. All right, fourth and final point here. Because this is, this is hard. This is hard. This is painful. And you should expect no less. Following Jesus in a fallen, broken, sinful world is not going to be easy. And it's going to be painful. But there's an end. There's an end to self-denial. Fourth point. Self-denial ends with a glorious reward for Jesus' followers. So look with me in verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So those who live for themselves now and refuse to follow Jesus now, he will reject them later. You reject Jesus now, he'll reject you then. When he comes in his glory, you won't be a part of that. You refuse to go to the cross and die every single day because of Jesus' death on your behalf and you don't follow him, he'll reject you then. But living this, king, this paradoxical kingdom life where you resolve every day to die to yourself and live unto God, as painful as it may be, whatever forms of suffering that may be brought in as a result of that, Jesus says the end for you is glorious. When Jesus goes to the cross and he suffers and he's rejected, the scenes in the Gospels, like honestly, we don't even really need the passion of the Christ to, to give us a picture of it. It's really gruesome when you consider what Jesus endured, you know, before his trial, during his trial, after his trial, and then his, you know, Execution. It was really brutal, especially considering the injustice. He actually didn't do anything. But not only did he not do anything, he didn't even do the things that they were accusing him of doing. He's completely innocent. They broke all of their rules to get Jesus to the cross. It was a complete miscarriage of justice. And when he goes to the cross and he dies that death in our place, there's no glory in it, right? It's shameful. His disciples, where are they? They want a part of this. They're afraid they might be next. And so they get out of town. It was the, the gore of the cross, you know? That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the kind of life he says is best. Because as Jesus is enduring the pain and the suffering and the very wrath of God on the cross, he has the future in his mind. Turn really fast to Hebrews 12. 
or really slow, however long it takes you. Just turn to Hebrews 12. Jesus has called us to suffer on a cross. He's called us to die on a cross. You want to know how Jesus did it? Hebrews 12, verse 2. This is how he did it. Looking to Jesus. Now, you know, let's just start in verse 1. I hate whenever it starts in the middle of a sentence. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Another picture of dying. Lay it aside. Sin that clings so closely. And then verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a clue here to the end of all of our suffering, to the end of all of our self-denial, to the end of all of our daily dying. The end is the presence of God, the glory of God. And we can endure with joy knowing that that day is coming. So the gore of the cross, it leads to the glory of the resurrection. Because as Jesus dies on the cross, that's not the end of the story. It's through his death that not only does he take his life back, but he grants life to all who turn from their sin and trust in him. And so there's glory in his resurrection, but there's also glory in ours. That inner resurrection where we die to our sin. The picture of baptism, you know, where you, where you go under the water and then you come back up. That picture of death going down into the grave and coming back up and taking on new life. That's what happens within us when we resolve to go to the cross. The old life is crucified and then we are raised to walk with Christ in new life by faith. And taking up a cross always leads to receiving a crown. Not just for Jesus, but for us too. We will share in his glory. We are heirs of his in this kingdom that is only partially here. So we will only partially, truly live. We will not fully live until sin is no more. Until there is nothing left within ourselves to deny until there is no sin for us to take to the cross to crucify on that day we will share in Christ's glory but here and now there will be no end to cross bearing this side of heaven just get it in your head Jesus says it's daily Daily until you physically die, do you have to wake up, take your cross with you into work? Take your resolve to die to your selfishness and your sin for the sake of God's glory and the good of others. That will not end this side of heaven. 
because our former selves, they'll continue to rear their ugly heads. They'll be lurking around the corner to try to lure us back into the old ways. But no, by the grace of God, we will resolve to wake every day and live our best life now by resolving to go to the place of death for the sake of following Jesus. Whatever you deny in yourself for Jesus' sake now will prove in the end to be gain. Whatever you deny in yourself for Jesus' sake now will prove in the end to be gain. I want to close um, with... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We've been walking through a Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, Life Together on Wednesday nights. He also wrote another fantastic book called The The Cost of Discipleship. Some of you may have read it. Um, Read a couple paragraphs from that and then I'm going to pray for us. Bonhoeffer says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. Jesus' summons to the rich young man was calling him to die. Because only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. But we do not want to die. And therefore, Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. The call to discipleship, the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, means both death and life. So if we want to see our church flourish if we want to see life here and if you want to see yourself flourish you want to see life you have to surrender yourself to God you can't hang on to any disposition any part of you that opposes his prerogative for your life his purposes for your life you have to let them go you have to put them to death So we submit ourselves to God and I would encourage you, I would call you to submit yourselves to one another here. Submit yourselves to one another. When you resolve to die to yourself in your own ways, in your own will, you can give up so much for the sake of your brothers and sisters here. And as we go to the cross collectively to die to ourselves we will find life and we will find it abundantly in this place. Let's, let's pray. Father, we are so prone to live for ourselves, to live for our own sake, to do what we want to do, even if that's not what you want us to do. 
Father, to our shame, there are times when we don't even consider what you want for us. We make so many decisions on the fly. We make so many decisions and talk to so many mentors and so many family members. We don't even pray. We don't even run to your word. We don't even ask you, is this what you want? Father, we need your grace to give us a disposition, to give us a desire for your will. We need the power of your grace to help us resolve each day to die because we don't want to. We want to live for ourselves. It's in us. Because of the fall, it's in us. I pray you would help us. Help us to see that anything we give up now for your sake will prove to be gain in the end. Help us to see that in order to do what you've called us to do, to love one another, to reach this city with the gospel, we have to let go. We have to let go of our personal preferences. Help us to let go this morning. Help us to crucify any desire that does not align with yours for the sake of then aligning our desires with yours. Father, help us walk in this paradoxical kingdom where every day we resolve to die, but we do it so that we can truly live. Continue to breathe life into this church and help us to see our role in that by going with our precious Jesus to the cross every day to die and live with him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to stand now. We're going to respond through song and then continue with our service.